0: We are back for another episode of The Construction Mentor Podcast. My name is Ike. I am your host. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at The Construction Mentor. Now a few episodes ago, we were talking about AI and the effect that it's going to have on construction today, 10 years, 20 years in the future. One of the notions that we covered was this notion that 3D printing is going to eliminate jobs. And basically my response to that was, well, the way that it stands today, the only way that we can 3D print is with concrete. So what begs the question is, how available is concrete to meet the demand of the industry? And the real answer to that, go back and listen to that episode, concrete is not available. There is a dwindling supply. Uh, we We have different governments and authorities holding jurisdiction restricting the extraction of sand to create concrete because it is eroding our beaches, and yada, yada, right? So the question is, is that if we are not going to be building with steel and concrete, what are we going to build with? And the answer for that, if you do just a little bit of research on the industry, there is a huge push to go with what's called mass timber, basically building large structures out of wood instead of steel and concrete. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of mass timber, what it is, and get people maybe a little bit excited about it, I want to point something out. There's two things that I want to address in this episode. Number one is what is mass timber, but number two is in the world we live in today, especially for young people, there's a lot out on media, there's a lot of things that come out on social media, and it's... It's all tailored to your emotions. It's meant to get you excited in either a negative or a positive way. What's critical for you in your growth and finding your path forward and finding what is true and best for you and best for your community is the ability to ask questions, right? Whatever the media source is, whatever they are presenting you, you should realize that there is an agenda and that you need to peel that back like an onion, right? To get down to the truth. There's always more questions to ask and when somebody is selling you something or somebody is trying they let me take a step back when somebody is selling you something they are trying to plan your emotions that's like sales 101 right people make decisions emotionally and they justify them with logic so when we look at where the industry is going and we know that there is a going to be a push uh, not only from you know the the government agencies but for a sustainability push It it seems pretty clear to me that building with wood and building structures out of wood, heavy structures out of wood, is the way that it is going to go. And you need to be able to take a step back and say, whoa, what are the questions? What are you not telling me? What do I need to know to make decisions regarding this material, regarding this building method, regarding this design Strategy going forward, right? So it's all about, it's always about the questions that you ask. So when I look at mass timber, I have all these great articles and all these news sources and all these news stories and all this propaganda that I can very easily find to tell me the benefits, but it doesn't really tell me the whole story, right? So what are some of the questions that I immediately, my knee jerk reaction is to ask about this product? Now, I wrote down these maybe 10 questions in 30 seconds because I have experience. I've been in presentations. I've had people ask me questions and challenge me on different things throughout my career. I have the experience to apply to this. Whereas if you were younger, you might not have the experience. So here are the common questions that should always come to your mind when you're presented with a new product or a new strategy or a new design intent, right? Cost always at the top of everybody's mind. What is it going to cost you? Schedule. Are you going to move faster or are you going to move slower? What is it? Do you actually understand what you're dealing with? Does it have any VOCs? What is a VOC? A VOC is a volatile organic compound. Is it something that produces or exudes something that you want to bring in, uh, breathe in, right? Who installs it? Who may or may not like who installs it? right? Hint, hint, I'm talking maybe about unions there. How does it affect codes? How does the fire department feel about it? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from China? Is it coming from Russia? Is it coming from Argentina? Is it coming from around the corner? What about the availability? How easy is it to actually get your hands on it? Is there a huge supply? You need to know that. What about sustainability? I haven't been in one presentation in the last 3 years where sustainability for a major client hasn't come up. What's the effect on sustainability not only in the production of the product, but in the building of the product and then the life cycle of the property there after. Okay? Lastly, where have they done this already? What are some examples where this has worked? Right? A lot of people don't want to be the guinea pig. So where has this happened? How is it successful? Is it getting better? Now, those are all the common questions. There's one more at the end of this that I want to go through. And that is in regards to biophilic design. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm saying that um, I'm enunciating that the right way. But It is a new topic that I think a lot of people should be aware of and they should be interested in, but it's basically bringing nature into construction. Uh, The design, the feel of it, how you feel when you're walking through the space, sitting in the space and the effect on you thereafter. And, And wood versus concrete has a tremendous effect on that. Allegedly, this is what they claim, right? So everything that I have that, is in this episode. I've pulled from a variety of websites. I'm not going to cite every single one as I walk through it, but it's from ForRisk. So go to ForRisk.com. You you can look this stuff up at the University of Toronto, University of Michigan, a website called Sustainalytics, the American Wood Council, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and a publication known as Structures Insider. So go check those out. Um, You can definitely corroborate everything that I say here but I don't want to slow things down, so I'm just going to get right through it because I want to try and keep this in less than 20 minutes. All right, so cost and schedule. The number one thing that you have to question anytime you have a new product or a new design strategy or anything like that, you have to question the effect on the cost and the schedule. Now, there's a ton of advantages for cost and schedule that they try to sell, so let's talk about them. Number one would be the workforce the claim is depending on the publication that the amount of labor needed to install mass timber or wood structure versus concrete and steel structure is at least 25% less some claim that it's about 50% less so when you go through cost although that this what we'd find is that this the wood product wood structure products are going to be more expensive because there is a greater manufacturing process right but in the field when you're cutting out 25 to 50% of the labor to install. That is a massive cost advantage. The majority of your costs in construction, 95% of the time on any given task is going to be the install. Okay. Um, it increases schedule efficiency. So not only are you using less people, but you're actually moving quicker, right? The reason that you're moving quicker is because a lot of this comes out prefabricated. It comes out um Already coordinated with you know holes and connection points and it's labeled it's like a, an Erecta set that you're you're just assembling this on site it's almost like a giant IKEA set with a little bit of quality it's not just going to fall apart on you like your coffee table would but uh, the claim is is that it would increase efficiency by twenty five percent not just on the install of that trade but the trades that all follow after that now the other part of that is not just how trades work with that material and coordinating with that material and modifying it you know making holes things like that but what does it do to your job site right when you're a construction manager when you're working for a GC you have to create you're you're like a conductor on an orchestra you have to have this harmonious you know symphony everybody working in unison and it has to be clear with uh, a nice workflow and people aren't bumping into each other so what effect does wood have on that if anybody has ever been on a job site uh, where they're pouring concrete, or they're doing a foundation, or they're doing you know rigid inclusion where they're drilling into the ground and shooting concrete into the ground, it is a soup. It is a wet mess, and it's really difficult for other people to lay out and keep their layouts and to work around them and be you know dry and clean and whatever. The claim is is that that this reduces construction traffic by ninety percent. That is a tremendous effect. So. If that is true, and on its face, I can see that being true, it is very easy to see why you would pick up so much efficiency in your schedule. You would need uh, less labor to keep up with that schedule. So that is a huge advantage from this point. I already mentioned that coordination is a key advantage of wood structure coming out, right? So a lot of the uh, Prefabrication is the word, right? That that is the flavor of the day, and I don't think it'll ever stop being the flavor of the day. We all hear about these prefabricated homes, and you know they basically show up, all, all, you know, eighty percent assembled, and then they plop them in place, and then you know it's a quick construction process from there. That is the case with these wood structures, right? So you have. Uh, The same coordination advantages as a 3D printer because you're manufacturing everything in a shop and it can get down to the millimeter of where all of your holes want to go, your connection points, you know, the lengths of lengths of your structural members, etc. When you compare it directly to a 3D printer, you don't have to worry about lintels or embeds or anything like that because all of the members that are produced are actual structural members, right? So if you prefabricate a structural wall, that's all part of it. Okay, You don't have to chase around the, the 3D printer that's pouring concrete walls all over the place and then place a lintel at the top so that it can pour the next layer of concrete. It's already part of that set that gets fabricated. Now, when you come out to site, instead of having a machine doing it, you obviously have people do it. And like I said, when this comes out like an Ikea set, everything is color-coded and labeled so th- there's obviously a learning process. And I think when when you talk about examples of where this has happened, the more that people do this, the better that they're going to get at it. Right? If you've never put together your own coffee table and you're looking at instructions, you might find it to be very difficult and confusing. Whereas if you've moved to a couple different places or you've put together a few pieces of furniture together, you kind of you kind of get it. Right, and you get a little bit better at it every time. It's not going to take you two hours every time. you know if you if you do it often enough, it might take you a half hour. So the same thing is going to apply here as time goes on. When the structure's in place, then we have to think about other trades coming in. We already said that we have cores in place, but what's it like to drill and to hang in to this material? If anybody's ever been on our job site and they've seen an electrician or a sprinkler fitter or an HVAC guy. They have to drill, they have to hammer drill into the deck, into the concrete, just to hang any of their equipment. So what does that mean? What do you think is easier to drill into and to hang from? A steel deck and concrete or wood? Kind of a no brainer, right? So it's, it's an easier lift from that standpoint for other trades to then go in and install around. And again, it's a fraction of the cleanup. You just don't have as much of uh, a mess on the job site to keep up with. Now, the disadvantages are very short, but I, from a cost and schedule perspective. But let's talk about them. Ten percent higher material cost. That should be very easy to justify. This should pay for itself in the efficiency and labor. We already just dis- we already discussed that. Now there can be a higher architectural design slash cost. What I would say to that is the more money you spend on a project in pre-construction, whether it's a detailed design or planning, the less money and the less time a project is going to take you. I'll say that again. The more money and time you spend in design and pre-construction, the less time and money it will take you to complete that project. The less money and time that you spend, At the beginning of a project, you're going to run over your budget. You're going to run over your schedule. Nobody's going to be happy. And a lot of finger pointing is going to go on big time blame game, right? So for me, I would always advise somebody that if you're paying more in the design for something, anticipate, you should be able to anticipate and justify the spend of that over the lifetime of that project or over the life cycle of that project, right? Now, higher material transportation costs now this is debatable because when you look at some publications they would say oh wood is lighter than concrete wood is lighter than steel obviously it's cheaper therefore to transport however where's it coming from okay if you look at one of these examples that we have down here there was a job in wisconsin they couldn't get the wood they had to go to austria it is going to be cheaper to get steel from pittsburgh than it would be to get wood from Austria, right? And if you want to talk about carbon footprint and, the, and that cost to transportation, then I am sure that planes, trains, and automobiles from Pittsburgh versus Austria in Eastern Europe, the impact on the environment from a CO2 perspective is much lighter from Pittsburgh. Less long-term flexibility, think future renovations. Now, this one I don't really understand because concrete and and steel is pretty rigid, right? It's a pretty big lift to make any kind of a structural change or supplemental structure change um, in a building once it's already there. I don't see how that's any different from the wood. I mean. You would still have to add structure to cut a big hole, or create a new shaft, or you know you'd have to shore something. You'd have to you know put in a temporary structure to hold it up if you wanted to remove a structural member or a wall. So I don't really see how that's different, uh, but it's listed when you know people try to combat this. So when, and again, when people try to combat something on the internet, a new product or a new design or a new strategy, think about their intent. Where are they coming from? <laughs> are they are they a concrete manufacturer? Are they a steel manufacturer, right? Who's funding that research? Where is that coming from? I think nine times out of 10, if you follow the money, then you can find somebody's um, intent or genuineness in a publication or research that's put out. Okay, we see that in the food industry all the time, right? We mentioned VOC. So we talked about cost and schedule. Now we're on VOC. A lot of people don't understand what VOC is, but it's something that comes up. I've actually had products installed on a job site. A lot of job sites have these little phone booths or little quiet rooms that are pre-assembled and they come in and that people can huddle in there and they can get on their laptop and they can take a private call when they don't want anybody to hear them. I actually had one of those removed from my job site because of the formaldehyde content that they found inside of it. So basically people were sitting in these tiny little boxes breathing in formaldehyde. If you don't know what formaldehyde is, that is what they embalm you with or pump you with after you die to preserve you. Okay, it's not meant for you really while you're living. So the VOC content in this, is exa- it's exactly that. It's going to be formaldehyde. And the reason that it is formaldehyde is because when you look at, and we're going we're gonna to talk about exactly what exactly these structural members are made of, mass timber is made of, and it's a lot of compressed wood mixed with glue. Okay. So obviously we don't want to breathe in glue. So when we talk about VOC content, you can find that in carpet tile and paint and really any kind of a finished product. It is going to release VOCs over time. So when we talk about this wood, what VOCs is it going to release over time after we install it? Are we going to be breathing it in? What about the people that are making it? Okay. So when we talk about that, there are low levels of formaldehyde. You can um, ingest low levels of formaldehyde, at at least according to all the research and all the industry standards as, as a human, you know, plants and other things do release these things too, but it has to be in a small quantity. So in the United States, the production of this material, if you're working in one of these mass timber plants, they have to make sure that that VOC content is below, um, a safe standard, right. Or below the maximum standard to keep it To keep it safe for people and then afterwards they also have the voc content to release and the long and short of it is that um, there are standards and the voc content is very low and does not affect uh, the occupants or the air quality in a building thereafter okay so voc understand what that is and when you're looking at your submittals for any kind of a product that you install on your projects in the future Always look for that. Always be aware of it because it might come up, and it should be something that you are aware of, especially if you are an architect or an engineer and you're making a specification that you're putting into a drawing or a spec book or something like that. Right. So, what is it other than glue? What is mass timber for you for you wood junkies out there? If if you exist, um, <laughs> it doesn't really get my blood flowing, but Douglas fir spruce pine fir or Western hemlock. Those are the wood types that you typically see in mass timber or uh, structural wood products. Now there's a bunch of different ty- types that you're going to see here. I'm going to breeze through these real fast, real fast. Glue- there's glulam, which is typically what you use for roofs. But gl- what glue lamb is, is it's two by fours that are usually pressed together. Um, you can curve them, you can arch them, you can taper them. That's why they're really good for roofs. But imagine a bunch of two by fours pressed together and glued for a you know structural wood slab that you would use for something like a roof. There's cross-laminated timber, which is known as CLT. Uh, what they basically do here is they take one by sixes, so really flat pieces of wood. They make several layers of them. They alternate each layer almost like, you know, sometimes when you when you stack cards or you stack paper together and you rotate each one 90 degrees. That's what they do. So they create one layer with one by sixes, they create the next layer, turn 90 degrees, and they just keep alternating that overlap. Uh, And again, they compress them together to make walls, roofs. They can actually make bridges with these and they're specifically intended to to replace the need for a concrete slab. The really cool thing about CLT is that these slabs, we'll call them, can be pre-insulated right so that is a huge advantage when you're talking about you know prefab and then install on site and then there's a, a sustainability or operational advantage to that thereafter lvl these are really 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 common you hear and see about these a lot this is a laminated veneer lumber lvl what they do is they steam and peel wood into 1 inch sheets and then they compress those and adhere those together to bond um, into a sheet. if it's almost like a plywood, if you went to Home Depot and you looked at a plywood on the side, what you would see is several layers and it looks like a bunch of little pieces of wood uh, basically compressed together. So that's what they do with this. But they do it in hu- really, really long strands, again, usually about a sixteenth of an inch thick, which is super, super, super skinny. Uh, but they use this for things like structural beams. They use it for trusses really where the length and the structural stability of a structure is critical. Okay. So these are your structural members, LVL. Then you have DLT, which is a dowel laminate timber. And what this is, is it's basically, it's almost like that glue lamb where it's two by fours that are stacked together and compressed, but to tie them in, what you do is you basically drill a hole and you put a dowel in a dowel is almost like a mop handle, right? It's a, it's a cylindrical long piece of wood that they would then compress in between them to, to hold them together. So it's almost like you're nailing it together with a piece of wood, right? Uh, now these are really good for structural walls and things like that, because what you can do is you can pre pre cut in the manufacturing process, your openings really precise, nice and plumb, nice and level for windows, doors, things like that. That's why a lot of people use DLT. Nlntl, I'm sorry, no NLT. Uh, excuse me, Nash, um, nail laminated timber. Again, same thing, but instead of using something like a dowel, you're using a ton of nails that are basically just shot in there, um, along with the glue to really build to really make something stable, right? And then you have parallel strand lumber or PSL. This is kind of like what I would call the hot dog of lumber. Okay. So basically what it is, what PSL is, it's all your scrap pieces of wood and from a sustainability and a cost perspective in the manufacturing side, this is a huge advantage because you're eliminating waste, right? You don't have to burn this. You don't have to throw it away. You're basically taking all that scrap, all that scrap meat, and you're stuffing it into a member and creating that sausage. You're creating that hot dog to create a structural member, right? So again, this is for long span beams, headers, columns, things like that. That's what a PSL or a parallel strand lumber um, is. So those are the different kinds, right? So we understand now the cost advantages and disadvantages on on a project and on its schedule. We understand the VOC content, right? How that affects the air in production and in production in the building process and then the life cycle of a structure thereafter. We understand what it is, right? We understand the manufacturing process uh, and the difference between the different type of products that you can see in your job. Now, the big question is who installs this? Why does this matter? This matters because if you're in a big city, well, first of all, let me take a step back. This matters because if you are a contractor, you need somebody to install this that knows what they're doing. So who has the resume, who has the education to be able to do this, right? You can draw, I can draw you a spaceship, but if they don't know anything about space or how to build something to, to maneuver in space, then because they just build trucks or they build boats, you know, they're, they're not going to know what they're doing. So who knows how to do it? But then the other thing is, Who does this take work away from if you're in a big city and and it's a big union city like a Boston or New York or Chicago, and I talk about this all the time. You just took work away from the structural steel people, the iron workers and from the concrete guys. Right. So they're not going to be happy about that. What are they going to do to stop that? If the work is taken away from them and what we find is You know, depending on the city, these, these guys might do the concrete, at least the forms for the concrete, but the brotherhood of carpenters and joiners. So the national, um, the national organization or union for carpenters, they are the people that are going to do this. So the iron workers are losing work and the carpenters are going to pick up work. That's really important to know because you're going to get pushback. When you go into any kind of a city again and we can do another episode on this but when victolic first came out which is a compression fitting for pipe that made the building process a lot more efficient less people required um less less hours right shorter schedules which sounds great but not when you're taking food off the table for somebody else right so the unions pushed back on victolic for a very long time until they had to accept it we already said that this this process has the same exact advantages so People may push back on this and again, when you see people pushing back on this product, this might be another incentive for somebody to speak poorly about this product, so be aware of that. Now, other advantages of who installs this, there is less education required to do this than there is to become a welder or to become an erect, a steel erector right? That's why those guys tend to make a little bit more money than the carpenters. So the benefit of that is to get somebody educated and up and running to do this, even if they don't have the experience, because we just said experience is really important. It's a relatively light lift. You can teach people to do this pretty quickly and pretty easily relative to other things, right? Now we know who installs it. So carpenters out there, be excited because your workload is going to grow tremendously. Codes and fire. So how does this affect codes and fire? First of all, there's a limit to the height of buildings that you can put in a lot of these that you can build this way, right? So we have skyscrapers in you know, New York and Chicago and Dubai and all these places that are you know, hundreds of stories high. You know, The Freedom Tower is, is, I think, 1,776 feet high. You're not going to build that out of wood. The tallest one that I can find is 25 stories. I think the limit in many places for right now is about six to 10 stories. So there is a limit there. What people are really gonna be concerned with is what? When you build a structure out of wood, what's the first thing that you think of? It's flammable, right? So there is a fire safety component to this that must be questioned. And from what I can tell, they've actually done a really good job at addressing that concern, overcoming that objection. What they've done is they've, mass timber has tested burns for about three hours at 2000 degrees. And it doesn't really burn like a two by four wood. What happens is actually a nice char gets created on the outside of that structural member. And it actually, it's almost like an insulator. It prolongs the ability to withstand a fire before collapsing. So in order to account for that char, that layer of like bark, burnt bark that happens that prolongs that life in a situation of a fire, they've accounted for that in the sizing of their structural members. So whether that's an inch or two inches or whatever it is, they've added those dimensions to their structural members to maintain that stability, to maintain that integrity in the event of a fire, which is really, really, really smart and really encouraging. But that's why it's getting approved in so many places. Because again, when you're in a design as an engineer or an architect, you have to be prepared to address these types of concerns. Or if you wanna change the world and you wanna come up with a new product, you have to be able to address life safety concerns at every single turn. Then comes everybody's favorite topic, sustainability. So what is the effect on sustainability? Because the knee-jerk reaction that most people have when they hear about wood is they're gonna cut down trees. Trees are good for the environment, cutting them down is bad. So what what does that mean, right? So first of all what I would say is the alternative is steel and concrete, right? Steel and concrete aren't renewable sources. There's only so much dirt and sand and gravel on the planet. That's why when we keep pulling it from the ocean, our beaches are eroding. We can talk about global warming and you know the rising of the sea levels and all that stuff, but if you're if you're taking sand out of the ocean, then the ocean gets deeper. And then the beaches fall to the bottom of the ocean, which is, so we're eroding the beaches, right? And we've already said that, you know, concrete, sand for concrete has to come from a waterway. So we have to take it from these places. Wood and trees are renewable. We can multiply them. We can reproduce them. We can create farms, all of those things. So it is a renewable resource. Now, how many of those resources we have available? That's another conversation. We'll get into that. But The claim is, and the popular status, is that 15% of the world's CO2 emissions come from steel and concrete production. So not only do we not have enough gravel, but it seems like the CO2 emissions from that process, that manufacturing process before it even gets shipped out, is one of the, if not the biggest strain on CO2 emissions on the planet. Now, the question is, is what is the CO2 strain in the manufacturing process of wood members, right, of all this mass timber. That is something that I can't find. And then the, the next question would be, how do we stop a logging boom from destroying all of our forests, right? So we can't just like roll into, you know, the, the plains or, or, or the Rockies or, you know, the nice forests up in Washington or Canada or anything like that and just mow all the trees down at once because we want to build stuff. So what does that look like? As of right now, it doesn't appear that we have enough farms or um, forests or, or tree supply to meet that demand. But what is going to happen is as the industry continues to push away from steel and concrete, these farms are going to be created to meet that demand. This is capitalism at its finest, right? There is a demand. Somebody's going to buy land and find a way to mass produce these trees and then reproduce them and then reproduce them and then reproduce them to continually meet this demand. After the structure is built, we've talked about, you know, the effect of VOCs and stuff like that, but is there an advantage to having a wood building versus a concrete or a steel building? Uh, there is. So, Part of that would be the thermal properties. What does that mean? The insulation, right? So the ability to keep your the temperature and the humidity within your space controlled, how much energy that takes to maintain, um, how much heat gain is coming from outside of the building, how much heat loss is escaping the building You know, in the winter. There is a thermal advantage to wood over steel and concrete. I mean, just think about it. In the winter, would you rather be sitting on a wood beam or a steel beam? That's because one's a better conductor than the other, right? So wood is a better insulator. it is a better res- has a better resistance to condu- conductivity. Now, where does it come from? According to Structure's Insider, environmentalists worry that North America forests are sufficiently protected, are not sufficiently protected to handle a stark uptick in demand. So, that means that we don't have the farms, and people are worried about destroying our natural forests just to get this product. So there's going to be resistance there. um but what I th- again, what I think you'll find is that manufacturing areas and farms are going to start popping up all over the place. The Natural Resources Defense Council put out a report stating that the number of greenhouse gases that are being released by clear cutting boreal forests in Canada might be incredibly undercounted. So in Canada, it seems that they're cutting down too many forests and too many trees. Now already, I think if you look at a lot of the wood production, they have Canadian stamps on them. So a lot of our wood already comes from Canada. But again, when we're looking, not just from a, a material costs perspective from shipping around the world, but also from a sustainability perspective, the, if you go get a lead certification, one of the first things that you learn is that you have an incentive to source projects with material that are, that are farmed or sourced close by. Right? So when we look at some examples where some of this, these projects are happening, for instance, the Ascent Towers in Wisconsin, that wood came from Austria. The Walmart headquarters that is being built in Arkansas was produced and manufactured in Arkansas. So one of those is a great sustainable option for where it was sourced and one of them is not. Obviously, within 100 miles in the same state is ideal. Eastern Europe, not ideal from a sustainability perspective. Now, there are 38 mass timber manufacturers in North America. I'm looking at a map right now that is provided by ForRisk. There's a handful, maybe eight in Canada. Most are right on the border so they can get it right over the border to us as soon as we need it. There's a cluster in the southeast, so eastern Texas, Arkansas, the Alabama, Georgia region. And then the biggest one outside of that would be the Oregon, Washington area, which isn't really a surprise considering the size and the amount of trees that they have up there. So it's a really good candidate, obviously. Where has this been done? Again, a lot of people don't want to be the guinea pig. So where exactly have these buildings been built and how many have been built? How popular is this getting? If you look over time, mass timber projects, 20 years ago, there was a handful. Every year it has grown exponentially from just a handful to over 800 projects in a year. As of September, 2023, so as of last month, there were 1,860 multifamily commercial or institutional mass timber projects that were either in progress or already built, right? So that's almost 2,000 buildings in America. That is a lot. Um, there's an 18-story Building in Norway again. I already said there's a 25 story building in Wisconsin. The Portland International Airport renovation—that's a mass timber project. That's a that's a two billion dollar project. That's huge. Uh, there's a Jamestown redevelopment. There is a Walmart headquarters, right? 2.4 million square feet. That's a huge space in um, structure lamb. I mean, that may even be why they opened opened up a shop to produce mass timber um, in Arkansas. Right. So again, when I look at the map, not for where this is being manufactured, but I have another map up in front of me right now for clusters of where you see these projects in America, it's all over the place. Big cluster in the Northeast, big cluster in the Northwest, the Southwest, uh, all through California, Texas, uh, big in Florida. I mean, it's all it's all over the map. You're seeing these pop up all over the place. And I think That is going to continue to grow because just like any other exponential curve, I mean, it's getting to the point where that curve is about to go vertical and you're going to see a boom. I think it's for all the reasons that we've already discussed. Now, lastly, this is a new topic, something that probably something that people probably haven't heard of. But what are biophilic properties? What do we mean by biophilic properties? This refers to the advantages of bringing nature into space. You don't find steel or concrete in nature, right? You don't, you don't walk outside, walk through the woods and run into a a steel tree. Okay. So I guess the question is, and a light bulb should go off over your head is Wow. Okay. So what does that mean? Because we we definitely feel more comfortable around water. We definitely find something tranquil and uh, stress relieving about being in nature and the trees or at the beach or whatever it is. So when I first heard about this, the first thing that popped in my mind was, oh, okay. So we might have something here that there might be some sense to this. And I know when I'm in a building, the buildings that I feel most comfortable in, and that I enjoy being in have more of like an industrial rustic thing going on where it's a lot of wood beams and brick. Right, it's a little more primitive as opposed to your big, um, you know, steel structure with you know glass and futuristic stuff, stuff like that. So, there's three categories of biophilic properties. Number one is nature within the space. That's the direct presence of nature. So that's what you fill the space with, whether it's plants, animals, water, breeze, sense, uh, light, shadows, natural elements. Right, this is kind of your decor. The second would be natural analogs. What does natural analogs mean? That Now that's your actual building materials, right? So you have wood instead of steel, you have patterns or objects or colors that represent things um, from nature, okay? And then you have the nature of the space. Nature of the space is the third category, which would be the incorporation of spatial elements typically found in nature, such as big views, Uh, sense, places of sensory refuge, like a quiet place, a safe space, different kind of safe space than I think a lot of people are talking about. And then a mild sense of risk. people like that people like stepping stones or shallow ponds or things like that. It makes people it does something to people's anxiety and stress levels. So why do we want those things? Now, there's a lot of claims out there and I haven't had a chance to get into the research or, you know, challenge people's studies on this, which should always be done. But for this purpose, we're talking about the benefits of biophilic properties and just the notion that anecdotally, when I think about this in my mind, it makes sense, right? I like being around nature, live plants. So this would be that, that first category, the pleasant, the presence of live plants on the interior of your building increases your air quality. Obviously that's a good thing. We all like good air and we like to be around plants, which in turn, and we definitely know this from lead, our, our lead, um, Lead education and our lead certifications. Again, I am a Lead AP uh, BD Plus C certified professional, and we all know that a better indoor air quality makes people more creative, makes people more productive by a factor of about fifteen percent. So, when you're a, a company and you're not even in construction, you obviously want your employees to be more productive and more creative, right? So, there is there is that advantage there to these biophilic properties. There's proof that it relieves stress. You don't want your employees to be stressful, stressed out obviously. I, I don't think that uh, being overly stressed is good for anybody. I think there's a balance of stress, like we want a sense of urgency. But overall, being around water, being around a lot of light, being around clean air, these are things that relieve stress. It makes people feel more, feel more comfortable, have more energy. Obviously, we all want that in the workplace. And being around wood as opposed to steel and concrete, is a little warmer, it it has a better feel to it. When you think about the concept of grounding, and if you don't know what the concept of grounding is, you should be doing it, right? At the beginning of everybody's day, the best way to start out your day is to get sunlight directly in your eyeball. That's the best way to ingest vitamin D, but also to have your bare feet on the ground. That has been proven to reduce people's anxiety and stress levels. That's because you feel more connected to the earth. And if we know anything from grounding, from our electricians, when you have a power surge, right, you need you or or stress levels increase, you need a way to dissipate that. You need a, a a medium by which you can relieve that extra energy, right? That negative energy that you don't want because it might make you feel like you want to explode, right? How about that for an analogy for you? So this is a better way using wood products to be more grounded. All right. It makes people feel happier and healthier it's been shown to lower blood pre- lower blood pressure lower heart rate and it actually has an effect on your memory so i think when when you're operating in a less anxious and a less stressful environment we are able to retain information better right so lastly the claim is and i don't have a statistic for this but you are able to attract and retain talent no matter what industry we're in right now, there is a labor shortage. And I hate that term because 40% of Americans are sitting at home doing nothing. There is a huge issue that people have attracting and retaining talent. So when you're building a new facility, you wanna throw everything that you can at it to keep the people within your house, happy where they are, not looking to jump ship for any reason possible. When somebody walks into your facility to interview them or they're thinking about working there. You want them to feel welcome. You want them to feel at home. You want them to get a feeling like they want to work at this place. And then while they're there, they obviously want to be happier. The happier, healthier, wealthier they feel they are, the more that they're going to want to stay. It's a pretty simple concept. So those are what biophilic properties are. And it's one of the major cells everywhere that I look online or anytime this has come up in any kind of industry discussion or presentation, it's probably the thing that's discussed the most. And overall, I, I think that it's where everybody is going. Every space that I walk into now, there's um, leaves on walls and, and, and what they call live walls, a lot of walls with moss on them that do not need exterior sunlight or, or an ongoing water source um, to live. It's part of almost every single space that we build today. So you're going to see this, whether you build with steel or concrete or wood, you're going to see a push on the design side. And as an architect, you should be aware of this for biophilic properties to be present in the design of a space. And again, that's whether or not you are in a new building or you are renovating a steel and concrete building, uh, they're probably gonna try and cover it up with some biophilic elements. That about wraps it up. I think that's that's it. Again, when you look at anything new, if there's one thing that you take from this, aside from being exposed to a new direction that the industry is going, you really need to be aware anytime somebody presents you with new information or a new design strategy or any sort of political notion or anything that social media or the general media can throw at you, you need to be aware that nine times out of 10, they have intent and it's usually tied to somebody's wallet. So you have to be able to ask questions. What you see, the first thing that you initially see, the way that it is presented to you is meant to pull in your heartstrings, to play on your emotions, to get you to then justify that with the logic that is presented to you. You must always question what is being thrown at you. And the important questions will always revolve around cost, schedule, what is it, physically what is it? What are the VOC content or components or exposures of said material or design strategy? Who installs it? Who will not like that? What are the code restrictions? What are the fire department restrictions or codes or concerns that apply to this? Where is it coming from? What is the availability? What is the effect on sustainability, not only in the manufacturing process, but the shipping process and then the building process and assembly and then the actual life cycle of a property thereafter? There's sustainability literally from cradle to grave in all of this. And then where have we done this already? Most people don't want to be the guinea pig. Where is it done? How is it going? Is it getting better every time around the block? And lastly, what is biophilic design that is going to pop up in all of your conversations in the future? It is going to be a major part of this industry. And if you are pursuing a career or you currently have a career, whether it's on the design side, the construction side, or the ownership side, this is going to be part of your conversations. And it will be, the first impression for the occupant, the person that actually takes the space, operates in the space, and lives in the space. So all that hard work for you know months and years ahead in the design, 95% of that they won't see. They won't see the HVAC or, or really think much of it, but they will remember how the space feels in their first interaction and in every day after that. I hope you like this episode. I hope you found it valuable. Again, you can follow me on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. (laughs) Think about that for a second at the construction mentor. You can also go to constructionmentor.org. I have templates up there for pricing, um, invoicing, anything that you might need for your company if you're starting out or you want to go off on your own, or even if you're operating within a company and you need to help building a schedule or you need a log to track. Obviously, we want to push. Uh, technology, the use of technology, but to be honest with you, whether it's Procore, or CMIC, or or PlanGrid, or any of these, Autodesk, any of these industry tools, there's really no end-to-end solution, not yet, and we have an episode coming up on that. But you probably need extra logs um, and templates outside of that to efficiently manage your project. So I have those available on constructionmentor.org for download. Go take those if you need any personal help from me, whether it's um, finding a path, for your career, finding an opportunity, getting prepared for an interview or an opportunity. I am here to help. If you just need some coaching or you want to vent about what's going on in your current career and you want a sanity check or you want a a little bit of direction, a lot of people have been reaching out to me for advice on how to handle uh, certain situations with their manager in their career. I'm happy to do that as well. Again, reach out to me either on Instagram, TikTok, or go onto the website. You can email me at mentor at constructionmentor.org. I appreciate you guys. Please like, please share, please subscribe, and I will catch you next time.